0: Talking about the fourth wave. Is there a fourth wave? What's it going to look like? Uh, We're going to be talking about what God has done in the first, second, and third wave of the charismatic movement and what the future might look like. It's going to be an exciting episode. You guys stay tuned. The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Right before the show, Miller was complaining. He was like, hey, one of these days, are you going to consider me a co-host of Remnant Radio? When's that going to happen? Uh, <laughs>
1: you <laughs> just ratted him
0: out. I've got to gotta add him into that, that video, guys. If, if y'all can't ever tell, this guy over in the basement, wait, that guy over there, that's Michael Miller. He's another co-host here on Remnant Radio. <laughs> I, I just wanted to give him the credit that he was due. Uh, he wanted to make sure people knew his name, which I think yeah. I totally understand. <laughs> I think it's respectful. <laughs> You're mean. You're mean. I'm a mean person. Okay. Uh. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We've got a great program for you. But before we dive into it and chastise one another, I want to remind you guys that we're a crowdfunded ministry. So if you want to support the channel, there are links in the description. You can give a one-time gift there on PayPal or a reoccurring gift there on Patreon. So those five bucks a month, you get access to extra content there on Patreon, things like the book club. Uh, you get uh, live Q and A's, those sorts of things. Uh, but let me introduce you to the boys. I mean you've already you've already met them once before, but that's Michael Roundtree. Mike, how you doing over there in Oklahoma? Um
1: I'm doing good. I was I was enjoying your ridicule of our other co-host, basement boy. So really that's why I'm here.
0: Did you relive <laughs> any like like uh childhood uh memories nice no, childhood memories were you like fulfilling childhood uh dreams by me pasting your face on marty mcfly like was that ever a thing that you yeah. wanted <laughs> back in the day, Michael, was actually,
1: it's funny because i i noticed it while you were doing the introduction i was kind of cracking up to myself so uh yeah dude i i love back to the future so yeah it's great movie. there it is 80s movies man Michael at. Miller
0: since since I, I gave you a hard time maybe you can introduce us to the waves uh explain people for people who are coming on and they're like wait first second third wave what the heck uh I just go to one of them ton talking churches I didn't know nothing about these waves could you maybe fill us in on the historical foundations of the charismatic space
2: yeah we'll see how this river has flowed <laughs> starting here <laughs> uh, so this was a this was terminology that was not coined by us. I believe it was C. Peter Wagner um, that sort of talked about three major wo- moves of God that have happened uh, in the 20th century here in the, the U.S. And he called the first wave of the Spirit um, what took place at Azusa Street in the early 1900s, which was. Um, do you want me to go through all of them, or you just oh, kind of explain in general at your
0: leisure? At your leisure.
2: Okay. Well, uh, the basics is that there were three major moves of the Spirit here in the the U.S., Uh, and two of them, well, actually all three of them really coming out of California when you think about it, um, in Southern California. Uh, The first one being the Pentecostal movement, which is uh, kind of what you would call the Assembly of God or Holiness Pentecostals. Um, And then the second that was probably mostly taking place through the denominational churches, And then the third, which was taking place amongst the evangelicals, which probably had some more theological distinctives to it. But all of these three movements of the Spirit were characterized by um, various gifts of the Spirit and miraculous works. Now, that's a a general uh, summary. And so we're kind of talking about those three movements in today's episode, a little bit more specifically, and then also some of the expectations we have of the future. And I don't know if we're going to get through all of this in this episode. I actually anticipate this will be a short series. What do you guys think?
0: Probably, yeah. Yeah,
1: maybe see, maybe so. I, I really, Josh, can you pull up Marco Vidal's? Because I, I feel like we just need to jump straight to the point of the future, the charismatic movement. He says, uh, translocations is what's next. What's y'all's response to that? <laughs> that's I, I've only heard of that from I, uh, John I
0: don't know Crowder. that I like the prefix. I'll be honest. I don't know what the prefix means. I think he means revival in lots of places. And if that's no, what he means... No, I, no, no. He's talking about
1: like in Acts chapter 8 where philip is preaching one day and suddenly uh, the spirit carries him away to a place called azotus and so uh, yeah he translocates from one place to another uh, by the spirit i know i know two people that have that, that have
2: claimed that that has happened to them
1: really did it happen yeah. while you were talking to them
2: not while i was talking to them no <laughs> then i don't that would have been cool Okay, All okay, right. okay. Yeah. Is there is
0: there anything cool. that Miller missed in those as we speculate on whether God still translates people yes. in the spirit? Um, uh, is there anything that Miller missed on the waves that you want to you want to bring up? You want to clarify, Roundtree? Okay.
1: Yeah. Um. So first wave was Azusa Street Pentecostalism. Second wave breaking into the denominations really starting around the 60s. So you have like 1906 and then around 1960 ish, and then. Um, Miller, I'm trying to remember. Did you mention John Wimber?
2: Not no, yet. I didn't. I, I didn't characterize really any of them, but each three of them had their own sort of distinctive markers that would be worth mentioning. So I left out a lot, but I was just sort of giving yeah. an overview.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, uh, Pentecostalism, just thank Azusa Street, thank March differentiation between say like you you're saved you're regenerated by the spirit but much later you're baptized in the spirit and you speak in tongues and greater power comes over your life and this pentecostal movement swept around the world and uh but it was really just the pentecostal denomination and some subsidiaries of that but uh but in the night in 1960 i think it might have been actually 1960 some dude announced in church that you know, Hey, I speak in tongues. And this was in a, a mainline denominational sort of church chaos breaks out and, uh, people start storming out and, and, you know, it's kind of this crazy scene, but a lot of people or some people will mark that as sort of the second, the beginning of the second wave where Pentecostalism goes mainstream, where it's like, it's breaking into Baptist and Methodist and Episcopal and even Roman Catholic. And, and so the, this charismatic thing is going far and wide. But then in the third wave, John Wimber was really uh, a major voice for the third wave movement. And third wave and you Chuck can think Smith of... as well. What's that? Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel as Chuck well. Chuck Smith, oh, Calvary right. Chapel, and the two were tied together, um, right. <clears throat> at least in the very beginning days. But um, yeah, a lot of the distinctives were more on the theological side, and uh, they were more like... Uh, the bapti- They tended, not every single time, but they tended to say that the baptism in the Holy Spirit was, uh, was concurrent with conversion. So you're converted and baptized in the Spirit at the exact same time. It's not a subsequent experience. Not everyone who's baptized in the Spirit will speak in tongues. Uh, those kinds of distinctives were made. And I feel like I'm missing one. Am I missing one of the distinctives of the, uh, of yeah, that- the third wave movement? There's there's some distinctives
2: of the first and second that also probably would be w- helpful, because uh, it, it wasn't just that it, it went to mainline denominations. The second blessing experience and theology. Um, another major distinctive marker of the Azusa Street revival and early Pentecostalism is that they saw this second blessing, baptism of the Holy Spirit, as also uh, meant to reconcile the races and bring unification uh, against all racial lines. And so um, whereas when the the second wave hit, it hit many of the liturgical and mainline denominations, or you could say high church, which tend to also include a lot more wealthy people, uh, which and and I would say it was in most of the it wasn't necessarily uh, going through the races and they didn't see it as part of racial reconciliation like the Pentecostals did in Azusa.
0: Well, there was there was a lot of like benefits. So, like if you look at Wave One, like you mentioned, racial reconciliation was a big deal in Wave One. Um, but you also have in Wave One a a global focus on evangelism that changed mm-hmm. and shaped the world in a way that no other movement has ever been able to do or replicate. First Wave Pentecostalism did a huge impact on starting massive denominations like the Church of God, uh, the Assemblies of God. That are, that are still reaching the world today. I mean, if you look at maybe the Assemblies of God. The fastest growing
2: movement in the church. I mean, yeah, it's like
0: there's like 3 million in America, but there's like 17 million across the world. Like I think in the right. Assemblies of God, and I could be wrong with, maybe it's like 30 million, or something like that across the world, but it's like, they're exponentially focusing on world missions rather than here, homegrown, let's have local churches. Um, and part of
2: that was doctrinal as well. They they yeah. thought that the gift of tongues was an actual language, uh, which we, we've had some debate on this show about. Um, but, but, Part of the reason they went across the world was because they thought that this baptism of the Spirit, evidenced by speaking in tongues, uh, was meant to send them to be witnesses, actually in the tongue they were given. So if their their tongue sounded like Japanese, well, that means they're going to Japan to be missionaries. Right. Uh, th- there was a lot so, of very disappointed missionaries. When they, they
1: got to those. They were countries. for sure
0: disappointed missionaries, okay. but but Guys, you've got. I'm, go ahead. No,
1: go, go ahead. ahead. I, I just have to show you. Can you guys see this who are watching the show?
0: Are you goosebumping? A baby
1: praying mantis oh, I see is on my hand right now. And it literally crawled happen? on me while you guys were talking just a second ago. Can you guys see okay, that? Miller, quick, get the no.
0: interpretation. What's happening? That's so cool. It's though. a praying mantis. There's something it's deeply prophetic mantis. about this moment. It's praying. You guys
1: pray for the fourth wave of you the know, Holy Spirit. You make jokes,
2: but I would totally see that as That's <laughs> as why I asked you to God. interpret it. Okay,
1: okay. <laughs> So, you know, our time. I have no God problem speaks through <laughs> Providence. He really does. So, it's all over the Bible
0: here. Okay. Wave one. So here,
1: I, I remember the other distinctive okay, I was thinking of and some, somebody in here put it was Dennis Bennett was the person I was thinking of. And that is correct. And, um, and, uh, he has a book about it called nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, anyway, so, uh, I still have this spraying man. I don't know what to do with it. Do I just throw it? I'll just kind of hold it. You guys can stare at it anyway. Um, <laughs> The uh, other distinctive was the already not yet of the kingdom, that the kingdom is here, the kingdom has broken in, but there's also a not yet. You know, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So his kingdom is future, but it's also here. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <laughs> and so you you have that. The, the logical <laughs> Pentecostal
0: is cracking yes. me up, bro. Yeah, that's great. Uh, we both what does it say? The if
1: comment. the mantis starts speaking in tongues, then we have something. That's good, that's yeah. Okay
0: well Me and like, Miller saw uh, it at the same time.
2: <laughs> so eschatology plays a part of the third wave. Yeah, a different, it's eschatology, a different eschatology, but
1: eschatology. inaugurated eschatology. But here's where that especially comes into play. Whereas you would have a lot of people, and and still do today, who in their articulation of healing is in the atonement, what they mean by that is is they, you might hear something like this, and I and I've heard people say this before, like, well. Don't, don't say you're sick. You're actually healed. It just hasn't manifested yet because by his sure. wounds, we are healed. So in the same way, like as soon as I ask for forgiveness, which is in the atonement, and I'm forgiven. Well, in the same way, as soon as I ask, oh, yeah, sorry. I, I've... <laughs> Is your another not sting, but something just stung me. I don't know what that was. Okay. I'm you have to pray over for over the here,
0: infestation guys. that Michael has in his home. What? I've just need to like get your your home like cleaned out with bugs or something, man. Like get a fumigator in there or something. <laughs> I don't
1: know what to make of this. <laughs> anyway, um so but but that's the other one is that the uh, third wave tended to view this already not yet like the kingdom is here, there is healing power uh, that all the manifestations of the spirit are for now, but it's sort of like a kingdom appetizer and we're still waiting for the entree. It's the same chef, but the entree is coming when Jesus returns. And so, uh, it affects the way you pray for the sick and it affects some other things too. So that, those are some markers, but those Josh, are, you mentioned earlier fourth wave. Well, so
0: I, I want to back up because I, I want to make sure that we praise these praise God for the things that he did in these waves, right? Like wave one evangelism uh, uh was huge racial reconciliation was huge and wave two when a lot of these mainline denominations were going kind of liberal in their theology um you had these moves of the spirit that were causing people to rethink the bible claims you know they were they were getting yeah, real educated awesome. enough to go well yeah. you know we can't believe in a virgin birth because we know how miracle well, you know we know miracles aren't really a thing but when miracles started happening They started looking back to the doctrines of scripture and believing that they were replicatable. Like, oh, God did this back. He's doing this now, which means that we can believe that he did this back then. And it caused like a resurgence back to the authority and sufficiency of scripture. So that's that's a huge deal. When we see a move of the spirit causing people back to the Bible and not like spiraling into charismaticism or charismania, that was a big deal in the second wave. So yeah,
1: it, although it does make me like really sad that there was this incredibly diverse move of the spirit in the first wave that they started to get away from because that culture of segregation and everything yeah. that like it was like, oh, OK, that's no longer that's not acceptable. But like at the beginning, it was just uh, I know I remember reading Frank Bartleman, one of the <laughs> journalists who was uh, had a major role in the Sousa Street. Um, he said the color line was washed away in the blood. And I just think in that time, I mean, in, in any time, it's beautiful. But uh, it also makes sense when you read Acts 2 and it's um, your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, that, that where the spirit falls, that there's a an associated diversity with it. Because in, in that context, it was like, hey, the spirit falls on all flesh, no distinguishing. And that's what happened at Azusa Street. I think that's a really beautiful thing. I hate that it, it got away from that. And, well, and man, if there was sense- a fourth wave— if there was a fourth wave of the Holy Spirit, and this were in our context in America, where it's super polarized, not just across racial lines, but across like basically every possible line, how incredible would it be if a move of the Spirit came and suddenly people were united? And I think that's one of the reasons the Holy Spirit is given. Ephesians four refers to the unity of the Spirit. So, uh, Josh, I interrupted you though. What were you? No, saying? I was,
0: was going to say, in some sense, that there is there is real unification still taking place in the Pentecostal movement. Like, cause if you look at it, you're right. Like Charles, Har- uh, uh, Parham, William Seymour, they, they had some beef, you know, and then, uh, when the assembly started, there were some kind of racial undertones with that. Uh, but there has been like reconciliation and repentance with their, their church of God brothers. Um, there's been real, again, beautiful global missions focus. Like you don't spend 80% of your budget and all of your focus and energy planning churches overseas in countries where people look different than you if you're racist. So in some sense, like that that racial reconciliation piece has been brought back into uh, the momentary loss that they had early on, uh, you know, 20 years, 30 years later, begin to revitalize that aspect of their ministry. So, I, you know, there's... It, it would be wrong to just make it all out to, well, they started good, they ended racist. There, There's a lot more, I think, nuance to that whole conversation uh, when yeah, it comes so, to racial reconci- reconciliation. So.
2: The two things I want to mention about this is, one, um, their emphasis on racial reconciliation through the Spirit is actually, I think, a biblical emphasis. Right. Michael, you mentioned already Ephesians 4. I would also mention 1 Corinthians 12 and the whole metaphor of the body. Um, the very fact that the hand needs the eye and then an eye needs the hand is is meant to show us that we alone are not capable of being a whole body, and so we actually need one another's gifts, and that that is the unifying factor of the giving of the Spirit. Is that it unifies all mankind? It makes yeah. one new man in Christ, um, grafting you know. both Jew and Gentile. And I think the the a physical illustration of this that i've used in my church uh when i've when i've talked about this uh is the tree of 40 fruits that uh, was was um i can't remember who the artist was that did this but a guy basically took all these this orchard that was going to be torn down in uh, upstate new york and he had all of these trees different uh, varieties of stone fruits uh, branches from each of these trees and grafted them into one tree and so this one tree is actually producing forty different fruits, but it's being sustained by the same nutrients from the roots of this one tree. And that is very much who we are in Christ, all grafted in um, into one branch or into one tree. Um, the second thing I want to mention is uh, I don't. There's also a little bit of confusion about the second wave. Many people will say that the second wave is the Latter Rain movement, and um, to be fair, I, I actually don't think those two things are connected, um, other than the latter rain movement was a, a, I would say evangelistic movement. It's where we had all of these, um, it's where the tent revival started and there was a particular group that were all contemporaries. Um, and I think it would probably fit right there in between the first and second wave, but isn't considered second wave. The second wave was breaking into mainline denominations, whereas the latter rain movement was still just largely a Pentecostal movement that uh was also incredibly evangelistic and was marked by certain people of power not necessarily the equipping of the saints and that's another third uh another big distinctive between the third wave is the third wave was also about equipping the saints Mm -hmm. for the work of ministry so it wasn't just about the man of power for the hour it was about all of the saints knowing their gifts and using them in ways to better the body of christ right
1: Hey, I I want to kind of interrupt here. Okay, I'm coming back. Sure. I know this is silly. I'm coming back to the praying mantis Let's talk about it.
0: Everyone in the comment hasn't got off of it. So I knew you were going to come back. To oh, it. I love I it. Well, the yeah. comments
1: are on it. So, yeah. uh, and, and here's the deal. And this is just maybe like a little live lesson here on prophecy. We tend to think of prophecy about you. You interpret a dream. You interpret a vision. Uh, but think about Joseph. And, and that's definitely true. But uh, Jeremiah, think about Joseph. See. Joseph. Interprets dreams, but he also interprets uh, providence. Whenever uh, whenever he says to his brothers, hey, this happened, not just uh, like you selling me into slavery, like uh, like everything that happened, it, it wasn't you who do it, did it, but God who did it, and he did it for the saving of many lives. He's actually interpreting his story, interpreting life events. And when God is the author of your story, Psalm 139, all of our days are written in his book before any of them came to be we should expect that the events have meaning. Now, there is such a thing as overkill. You don't wanna be like, hey, that blade of grass means, you know, that uh, I, don't, I don't know, something stupid. Like, not everything <laughs> is meant to be like interpreted prophetically, but if you, uh, and Miller, you talked about this, like, you know, I would think maybe that is a thing. Um, that paying attention to just like crazy coincidences and you see those kinds of things in the scripture, you see it in the book of Esther where the name of God is not mentioned once in the book of Esther. But when you get to Esther, I think it's chapter four. Um, I could be wrong on that. But uh, where the king happens to not sleep that day and he happens to request a, a book of the chronicles of the kings and he happens to have the guy read to him the portion of the scripture or not scripture, the, those chronicles where Mordecai's name is mentioned. And he happens anyway, the whole thing. It, the structure of the book is meant to communicate that when God seemed absent, his name was not in the book, that he was still very present, and so the author himself is interpreting providence. So, do you guys think that it's possible that, and somebody looked this up in the chat and I verified it, that the word mantis apparently means uh, prophet, okay? Mantis means prophet, okay? Praying mantis. Uh, do you think there's anything to that? And And so... Let me see. So I, I'll go from the ancient for Greek words, the word mantis, Miller, meaning Eden prophet, there. and "idos" meaning anyway. I'll, what do you think? I'll
2: give you two things. Uh, the idea that you could look at something and God could speak to you through what you're seeing is absolutely biblical. Jeremiah says, or the Lord says to Jeremiah, look over there, what do you see? And he says, I see the budding of an almond tree. And then there's this whole play on words where God begins to speak to Jeremiah through that image. And in Hebrew, you see more of the play on words. We don't get it in English, but the fact is he was speaking through a literal physical uh, picture that he saw, not a vision in his mind, not a dream he had at night, not a trance, but through an actual thing that he was seeing. And so I would say that's biblical. But secondly, I would say that on some level, what we're talking about and, and uh, the subject is a fourth wave. And to be very clear, there's been lots of prophecies about a fourth wave.
0: Yeah, uh, I've I will, literally had friends
2: who have had trances so. uh, where they saw these three magnificent waves, and then a fourth, uh, and then hear God say, "And yet I will come again." um Amen. so i i don't doubt for a second well that, it was a praying
0: mantis even seeing a praying
1: mantis, mantis is, so is a, pray for being a praying way. for if exactly. there's a message in it that would be the message yeah. uh, John, i, I, I think say? there's
0: more message there michael i think it was a baby praying mantis and it was on michael's hand it's showing that michael is an infant and needs to pray <laughs> into some kind of prophetic gifting that's clearly I'm a, what i'm just gonna go clear, ahead and say no thus it's not says prophetic, the lord but, michael is uh, a baby I'll quench the spirit I'll and say it. I think it's just a bug. Uh, <laughs> personally, you know, call me call me a heretic. I don't know. I just I just think it's a bug. Uh, All right, back to the waves. Let's talk so, about the fourth
1: wave. Let's talk about the characteristics of this uh, of this fourth wave. If there was such a fourth wave, if the Holy Spirit was to do something new, what would that what would, what would that even look like? What would be the future of the charismatic movement? What what would need to change? Like so maybe what are the negative things that we would want to shift and change about what has gone before, or what, what has become? And what are some of the positive kind of new things that we would begin to see God doing? Where do you guys want to start in this? And this is really a projection of what we want to be true. And I think honestly, it's something we should pray for.
0: Uh,
2: I, I have a deep, deep desire in my heart to experience what these men have experienced. I've never been in any kind of movement or wave of the spirit, um, like what they saw. Uh, I mean, honestly, I, I've had dreams of meeting some of the people from the latter rain movement. I've had dreams of meeting John Wimber. Um, but I've never actually been a part of any of those movements. So,
0: yeah. And, and as we look at these kinds of things and we see these people being touched by God, you know, I see there's an outcome that comes as of it. Like when, when they encounter God at Azusa, it changes the world. You know, when these mainline churches get touched, all of these people who pseudo believe the Bible are super committed to the scriptures once again. In the third wave, people are mobilized to actively practice the gifts of the Spirit in their local context. And and ultimately, when I want to see these kinds of fourth wave revival kind of thing, I want to make sure that... Um, People hear me like I don't want to just encounter God for the sake of encountering God, and I certainly I want to encounter God for the sake of encountering God because He's God and He's he's worthy of worship, and and my affections should be there. But I also don't want to look at this as a me-centered self glorification. Um, I think one of the reasons that uh, what I would love to see in the fourth wave is a merging of the Protestant solos and the the uh, the moving of the Spirit. I, I would love to see a revival that keeps Christ glory Christ's glory that we're doing Amen. this for his name yeah. right we don't want just revival so that we feel good and we can you know have tinglies and goosebumps and and praying mantises but we want revival um because, <laughs> I'm sorry I'm you. sorry guys. that's that's the last time I'll bring it up but but so that so that when God manifests I feel like you're
1: praying on us
0: ah uh, his his glory is brought to the four corners of the earth um I, I really hope that that's our focus in praying for this and, and I think that Uh, There are things that we can learn from these other waves, things that we can learn from church history, uh, and find ways to integrate and press for more. Um, I think one of the areas that we've all talked about regularly on the show that I think we should be praying into um, would be that of ecclesiology. I I would love to see the charismatic movement have a consistent way of governing the church that would increase the level of accountability um, and increase the... um, the integrity of our leadership, because I think that there's a lot of uh, kind of dangerous ecclesiological systems right now where we just kind of let whoever wants to do whatever they want to do. Hey, the man of power for the hour says this is the direction we're going. And there's no questioning. There's no there's no biblical examination on whether that is the actual will of God. Uh, but it's just, hey, he's our leader. Let's follow blindly. And I'm, I'm deeply concerned about that, not as just an occasional thing that I've seen, But a pattern of uh neglect and disrespect for the body of christ um that's deeply concerning so i'd love to see that do you guys want to jump on the ecclesiology piece
1: yeah i'm totally on board with that and that's where i think like josh you and i talked about this but that's like a huge priority to me because healthy church governance i mean there are unhealthy church church governments uh outside of the charismatic movement and within the charismatic movement but but what i think makes the charismatic movement unique is that we can say well the holy spirit gave me this form of church governance now we shouldn't be able to say that we should hold the scripture to a higher view but uh, but the god told me can go a long way with a lot of people and it's just it really introduces this whole new dangerous element now we all believe and are biblically convicted about the gifts of the Holy spirit and the, and the need to pursue them. So we're not going to say, Hey, it's dangerous. So don't pursue it. But we we've seen so much God told me in leadership and you therefore can't trump that person where, where essentially the prophets end up leading the churches with their God told me instead of the elder. of course, you know, with the three of us believe in an elder run church based on first Thessalonians or first Timothy five, amongst other places where the elders are to direct the affairs of the church. Um, but this, this plurality of leadership gets replaced by one man saying, God told me. And if they're really accurate with, say, words of knowledge and, and God's really moving in their lives, it's real easy to just believe, well, God really told them. And it trumps the God's design for plurality. God designed elders to uh, direct the affairs of the church. He, de- he designed for a plurality of leadership to rule over the church not just one dude who says God told me. And that can be a, a prophet or in some systems an apostle or an apostle is telling elders what to do in this church and that church and this church and that church. And so and, and so we've gotten away. So like I said, cessationist churches can go to the one person model, but what takes it to the next level in charismatic world is that that one person model is also saying God told me and people are believing him. And, I, and so we've just seen that wreak havoc Uh, upon the charismatic church and so i would love to see a healthy ecclesiology with a plurality of leadership so that there can be some actual shepherding of the movement taking place not just one dude saying god told me and so
0: go ahead michael
2: oh i i was going to mention that when you mentioned the bit about what we have our prophets leading the church well yeah and actually we have literature that which, that is out there in the charismatic movement saying that the prophets should be leading the church that right. they're the ones who hear from God about what the the blueprint is uh, that's right what God wants to do here on the earth and so uh, but then also I, I mean again I'm, I'm thinking my past experience here but I would I can't tell you how many times I heard the phrase from this charismatic leader uh, God has given me a new blueprint uh, for a new kind of church that God wants Boo. to plant here in this city, uh, and, and there's going to be a movement of these kind of things. Well, you know, at the time, I didn't know enough about ecclesiology to think, hey, that's a problem. Maybe God already has a blueprint that he's given to the church in Scripture and that we're not allowed to create Amen. our new one. He'll also, he would also use the phrase a new wineskin, which actually brings mm-hmm. me to a hermeneutical issue that we see Uh, in much of charismatic Christianity that we hope would not be a part of a fourth wave. And that hermeneutical issue is the uh, using the scriptures uh, and taking them out of their context as justification for their uh, bad ecclesiological decisions. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that this kind of tails into another area that we need to talk about when it comes to ecclesiology. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna divert from our notes for a second. I, sure. Charismatics need a backbone, and and I think that church elders need to band together and say this is too far. There are we have the Trump prophets out in the slough, and we have charismatics who, who are afraid to tell their church, don't follow that guy, don't follow that girl, because they're like, oh, that's not my job to to. To tell people that you know not to follow this person or not to use this name or not to use that name. It's you know it's just my job to care for the sheep that are in front of me. It's like those people, those sheep in front of you, are being carried away by wolves who are prophesying their own desires and the things that are in their own heart. And your people are being consumed. Your people's faith is being destroyed because they put all of this trust in what God said when it was just the the delusional imagination of some prophetic lady. And I think that one of the reasons we have this problem is that we're afraid to do something that will hurt our church. And what we need is we need to have a group of men that are holding each other accountable, right? When it's one pastor who's at the top, who's making decisions, it's like, no, I don't want to take the responsibility for this. But when we have a group of people together who can say this is the right and fitting and biblically uh, a biblically right thing to do, we're going to hold each other accountable to call this stuff out and say, this is wrong and this is too far. This fourth wave, if it doesn't have a backbone, it will apostatize. Uh, yeah. I, and do you, I believe the charismatic movement I'm, is either prepped for the greatest revival in human history or the greatest apostasy in human history because we we've got yeah. to stand up and say no
1: dude totally and that, that's what we tried to do with the trump prophets but you know one thing i'm thinking about you know the guy who uh mentored me and michael miller jack Deere, and, and he talks about one of his biggest ministry regrets was the platform that he gave paul kane and his unwillingness to confront him, and and Jack is absolutely not afraid of confrontation. I can tell you, no, that. not at all. Okay, not at all. It's His but middle name. He saw Paul <laughs> moving in such tremendous power of the Holy Spirit that he dismissed things that he otherwise wouldn't have dismissed. Things that would have been like at least a yellow flag or even a red flag it was like, ah, oh, but, and he, you know, Jack was younger and he learned from his mistakes, but. Paul did things that were egregious, the most horrific things that, uh, you know, could legitimately cause somebody to question. I mean, I mean, I don't even know. I'm not going to be one to cast aspersions on one's salvation. That's not my role. Uh, Paul tells Timothy, the Lord knows those who are his. Uh, but my point is Paul Cain, while he did move in tremendous power, he also moved in tremendous wickedness. And our mentor said like the, is deep, one of his deepest regrets in, in ministry was not calling it out, and I believe the Holy Spirit is going to move in such power. I mean, I think there will be a fourth wave. Whether people call it a fourth wave or not, I don't know, but I think there will be a fourth wave, but uh, I, I hope and I pray that whoever, who, who's ever church this breaks out in, whoever has the, the voice that people are listening to and shepherding this movement, I hope they actually shepherd it. And I hope they stand up for holiness, and I and I hope they will call people out uh, who are cheating, uh, call people out, and I say cheating, cheating on sharing prophetic words and looking people's information up. We hear stories about that, um, you know, people who are cheating, people who uh, like Todd Bentley having affairs behind the scenes. Usually, this stuff like it's where there's smoke, there's fire. Usually there's smoke in advance and nobody wants to call it out. Right. And I just pray for some Phineas-like believers uh, who are willing to take a spear to it. Uh, some believers who are willing to just say, you know what? If this kills the movement, it kills the movement because it's not about the movement. It's about the Lord. It's about uh, be holy for I am holy. And and we're not going to stand for that kind of mess. And too many and, movements have been hijacked by, by mess. Well,
2: And the, the fear to speak out is, is partly motivated by some of the teachings within the charismatic movement. When we did my, that episode on our podcast about me getting fired, I had somebody come up to me afterwards and tell me they, uh, they believed everything I said in it. They've experienced personally what I, the stuff I said in it and they're within that movement. But they said, you know, you still shouldn't have done the podcast, you know, And, and the verse they quoted was touch not the Lord's anointed and so when i said that i said are you accusing me of trying to usurp and murder the senior leader of the church he goes no and i go well that's what that verse is about you just took it out of its context and told me that that i shouldn't talk about somebody's sin or bad ecclesiology because that's the anointed person that god has chosen and i was like but if that's not what that verse means if anything we're actually we're actually held accountable for staying silent Um, I I love the the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, to to be silent in the face of evil is to do evil yourself.
0: Amen. And this is exactly why I think the prophetic ministry in the charismatic church is waning is because we're really losing our prophetic voice, which, by the way, a reminder is to call people back to faithfulness of the covenant, to call Mm, people back to the scriptures. Um, It's not to wow and impress people with, you know, how much we can know and how much we can divine. Um, In fact, I quote this. It seems like it keeps coming up um, in Micah 3, uh, verse 8. He talks about, hey, in in the former verses from 4 through 7, God has shut up the minds of the prophets, shut up their mouths. They can't speak. They can't prophesy. They can't see uh, because they're just prophesying their own desires. And God has shut off any kind of revelation from them. And then he says, but as for me, I am filled with power in the spirit of the Lord, Uh, and with justice and might to declare Jacob his transgression and Israel his sin. When we are bold about calling sin, sin, God continues to pour his spirit out on his people. We're continually calling people to repentance, back to faithfulness of the covenant back to faithfulness in Christ, he pours out his spirit on those people. And I think what's happened is we've, we've lathered ourselves up into emotionalism. We've ourselves up into the, this kind of charismania uh, and we feel really good about it. And, and don't get me wrong. I've, I've done the same thing. I've been guilty of being sucked into, wow, this is super cool. I, I want to enjoy and experience these things and have neglected the emphasis of preaching the gospel and and I think that when we think of the charismatics who are, you know, all far off in left field, we don't think of them as people who are in sin that we need to call back to repentance, but all of the prophets in the old testament did. They saw people on the outskirts, they saw them drifting away from the main thing, and they called them back to repentance, back to faithfulness yeah. to the message Dude, of Israel. I
1: love that because I I think we've so we've narrowed our definition of what a prophet is. And prophets do do things like Agabus in Acts chapter 11, where he predicts the future. Prophets do do things like what Jesus does in John 4. The woman says, surely you are a prophet. He identifies facts about her life. She says, he told me everything I ever did. So prophets do bring this revelatory knowledge of people's past, this revelatory knowledge of what's going to happen in the future. Those things are cool and they're exciting. But the way the scripture uses the word prophet, it's not just getting these cool downloads. Uh, I mean, think of Jonah. He's like, I don't want to go preach to these people. Jonah was a, a prophet of the Lord. And, uh, and a lot of prophecy, I mean, when you, when you read the Old Testament, the way that it's portrayed, but even in the New Testament, especially in the book of Revelation, uh, the, the pro- Revelation 19, the uh, testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And in the book of Revelation, The testimony of Jesus, it's the gospel. It's holding on to that testimony of Jesus, his life, death, his resurrection. It's exalting him above all things. It's holding on to him even in the face of a beast is persecuting you, even in the face of Babylon's pulling you in, even in the face of like all the crazy. And Josh, I know I got all my eschatology and I had to do it. But in the face of all the pressures, like we keep testifying to Jesus. That's in the broadest sense. That's what prophecy is. Yeah. And man, I would love to see a restoration of that side of the prophetic movement that it's not just like, oh, cool, that guy got some amazing words of knowledge. That's so neat. Uh, No, like let's call people back to Jesus, like spirit empowered and gospel centered should be married together. I encourage you guys to go back and watch our episode about is continuationism gospel centered. Uh, A lot of you guys had a lot of real positive things to say about that. I think it was an important episode. Uh, but man, Josh, I just, I loved hearing you say that because I, I just feel like we get away from the, for the, just the simple gospel because we're so like oohing and on over some sign or wonder and I'm all about signs or one and wonders. I'm all about them, but so that they might testify to the glory and beauty and wonder and awesomeness and truth of Jesus. And I just, I think we need to be willing to to preach hard truth, and and I I'm afraid that we've lost that in the charismatic movement and replaced it with a bunch of prosperity frou frou. So, well, there's
0: my thought. I mean, when you're when you're out there and you're praying for the next great revival, like oh God, it's like uh, just ask yourself, like, am I am I faithfully preaching repentance, right? Like with your prayer, right? Preach repentance, right? Like that's it. That's a good thing. It's not just hey, I'm going to pray and pray and fast and see this revival, you know, ushered in. But there's a faithfulness component to this whole thing, right? Like, like, why is God going to bless someone who's not doing the thing he told them to do in the beginning, right? So let's make the main thing, the main thing, pray for this next great revival. and, And let's have some kind of infrastructure, you know, because I think of Noah, God tells Noah, I'm going to flood the earth. Noah believes him. Do you know how I know that Noah believes him? He builds a boat, right? Like he builds this big ark, and I feel like we 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 hear, oh, there's this next revival, this next revival. If God sends revival right now, I don't think we could carry it. I think it would flood us all out, and we'd all drown. Um, and I'm I'm worried about it because I don't think the infrastructure of ecclesiology, accountability, you know, calling people to the carpet for for being an error, like just a desire for holiness, it feels as if. We want to protect a movement. We want to protect an image. We want to protect a brand. So we're 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 pulling our punches, and we have really tight buddy friendships because we go we all go speak at conferences together. and And it would be really difficult. It would be miserable if Michael Miller, you know, started Facebook stalking people and profiling their Facebook, you know, uh, uh, profiles. He started you know jumping on white pages, jumping on Facebook, searching their information, but. But before God, I'd call him to the carpet and call him out publicly if I found out that he was doing it. Like, I just, mm-hmm. that, that, that kind of thing, it infuriates me. And I understand how you can be tempted by it, but dude, you can't let your friendship with some other big name evangelist guy prevent you from calling your friends to the carpet when it comes to these things. Um, anyway, I'm going well, to There's, on a, rant a, there's too much. a
2: desire to preserve people that you're friends with. That you're, Absolutely. You're less objective and tend to be less biblical because you, you're hurting for them and the sin they just got caught in. And so instead of going public to warn the public and let them know, Hey, this actually happened. I think it's important that you know that before you would ever have this person come in. Um, they, they don't want people to miss out on the gift that person has, uh, after they've been caught for misusing or, or, or lying. Um, and I think that's what's happened with several well-known prophets today. Um, And I, yeah, I, I struggle with this. This is hard for me. And it's, it's because the truth is those of us in the charismatic movement, um, I say charismatic movement. I don't know if we're actually part of it or not, but I assume so. Um, we love the gifts of the spirit. And one of the most damaging thing that's happened, that's really like grieved us is we've watched these prophetic voices gain an influence and power. And then, uh, and then very much dishonor God and lie and deceive. And For those of us who believe in the authentic power of God, it, it makes us go, "No one will ever trust any of the rest of us again because of what you've done."
1: Right. And well, the only way we right. can gain trust back is by talking about it. And and just like when a cessationist, if a cessationist pastor falls into sin, people in their church are going to fall away from God and say, "I can't trust you know the scriptures anymore." And, and of course, we would say, "Well, hey, that's a person. That's not God." Like you you shouldn't leave God because of that dude. We would say the same thing about the charismatic movement. If somebody's sitting in the charismatic movement, it doesn't mean the whole thing is false. That's a fallacy. No, we, we go to the scriptures and what do the scriptures say? And I think this is another thing that I would love to see in a fourth wave movement in charismaticism. And, uh, that is expositional preaching. I think that expositional preaching is such a safeguard against the wishy-washiness against just we, we tend to just go off the rails in one direction or, or another and uh, and man if we could just stick to the text and have charismatics i i I feel like the anti-intellectualism has and and the fact that like for a long time I mean there weren't re- there wasn't like robust theological education for anyone charismatic and uh, and charismatics felt like they You know, I I don't know. I've heard a lot of charismatics. You know, bash on seminary and and you know all your theology, and we just got faith and all that. Like, hey, I get it. Faith is more important than knowing lots of stuff. But we actually should value theological education. We actually should value preaching the word of God. I think verse by verse, it would be a real safeguard for the movement. I'm not saying that somebody's like gotten away from God if they preach topically. I think there are ways to to preach topically that it's uh, you're honoring God and you're preaching. But I, I prefer expositional preaching. I think that it uh, it keeps you more honest. <laughs> it, it helps you uh, wait. It, preach it the whole the- counsel of God because you, you're going to come to some passages where it's like, okay, this is not going to be uh, this is not going to be a very popular passage to preach you know, but like if you're just kind of picking stuff from whatever, you're likely to just to just pick the happiest verses that will give people warm and fuzzies and people will tell you that was a home run sermon. But like, you know, preach through Isaiah, preach through revelation, preach through preach through some of these books where you have some hard stuff to hear. And um, I just think that's so valuable. And I would love to see a fourth wave movement that that prioritize that the the uh...
2: Topical preaching, when you mentioned this, I was going to say it it has the propensity, more of a propensity to preach scripture, uh, but actually take it out of its context and not actually preach the word, preaching something else like your own values. And typically what happens when people uh, stick with topical preaching only is they often really are repeating the same message over and over in a number of different ways. And that message is usually what they value and what they feel personally called to, not necessarily the full counsel of God. Um, I'm not saying that always happens. I think the propensity is higher. Um, when you're preaching expositionally through a book of the Bible, you're you're usually going line by line and, and attempting to get the Scripture in its context. When you're preaching something topical, you're often often scouring the Scriptures to prove a point or uh, get, get support for a conclusion you've already drawn.
0: Yeah, I so mean, imagine... One, you're, you're like, hey, our, our, we're a charismatic church. One of our theological distinctives is the charismatic gifts of the Spirit. It's like, okay, and if you preach topically, you can be drawn to preaching every Sunday about healing, every Sunday about prophecy, right. every Sunday about tongues, right? And just rotate mm-hmm. those three sermons from different places in the Bible. Um, that would be a huge disservice to the body of Christ, massive disservice to the body of Christ by preaching verse right. by verse through the scriptures you're giving the body of Christ what God has intended the body of Christ to have which is the word of God right like when we when we walk through it we we prevent ourselves from hanging out in uh specific areas and creating unholy fascinations with very specific parts of scripture and then neglecting other parts that don't interest us like when you're That's you're right. a pastor and you're preaching when, through the scriptures Leviticus is hard to get through right but it's good for you and it's good for your people to preach through the books of the Bible um, because right. there are Dude, areas I, that we would neglect.
2: I remember getting in trouble. Uh, I was going through the book of Genesis and then I got to Genesis chapter six about the Nephilim. And I had people coming up to me afterwards. The people within the church themselves were like, that was the best message I've ever heard. Uh, I loved that message. But the amount of leadership that got so upset with me because why are you talking about the Nephilim in church? People don't need to hear about that on Sunday. And I was like, really? Then why did God put it in the scriptures? <laughs> like, why Amen. is it in there if it's not useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness? Like, explain right. that to me. <laughs> but I, I was well, I was
1: reprimanded for it. Yeah. Yeah, well, in Acts chapter 20, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, I preach to you the full counsel of God. And and I think expositional preaching really helps with that. I, I'm just saying, I I think it's the best, and I would love to see it in a, in a fourth wave movement. But also, I want to see us not just teach the Bible, I want to see us obey the Bible. And our conviction is that would include an active pursuit of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, And one thing I'd really love to see is instead of these these big names who have like, you know, this powerful healing ministry, just go to this conference or just go to that conference. That's fine. Conferences, no problem. It's okay. I'm, I'm just saying like instead of the man of power for the hour, I would love to see churches making space on Sunday morning for a healthy and robust practice and exercise Of the gifts of prophecy, of healing ministry, uh, even of tongues and of interpretation. So, tongues, if there's interpretation, but a, a healthy biblical model, this is what Paul tells us to do in 1 Corinthians 14 that when you come together, so it's in the context of a church service, one of you has a hymn, one of you has a teaching, one of you has a revelation, one of you has a tongue, one of you has an interpretation. Let each thing be done for the edification, the building up of the body. And so, We've turned church into a spectator sport where you just watch. But what would it look like for us to actually practice the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Not just the preacher and the music team, but to but to have a broader uh, and a greeting team. I know it's like, I know we got some other teams, but like, what would it look like to have a healthy biblical expression? And, and that's where I see with the fourth movement. I mean, I think the the third wave of the Spirit with Wimber, Wimber was big on training and equipping. But I just, I feel like more on the practitioner, more on the people, more people moving in the stuff, not these big names like a a Paul Kane who's going to go wacky and fall into crazy sin. Like, just a, a democratization, if you will, because that's actually Acts chapter 2. In theology, we call this the democratization of the Spirit, that the that the Spirit was not just given to some people for a short season as it was in the Old Testament, but, uh, but given to all of God's people. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, et cetera. So that this was to be an all of God's people thing. And we can get into, we've talked about this before. I'm not saying every believer has a prophetic gift, uh, but I am saying we live in an age, an age where the Holy Spirit is given to every believer and prophecy should flow in our churches as well as all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So i'd love to see more practitioners well, I, would, I would
2: say you want to emulate the third wave characteristic of equipping the saints uh you you, you made it sound like they be- That you want to see more of what they did uh but you weren't trying to say that in a negative way you were saying that in a positive way the thing about the third wave that we love and we consider ourselves part of is that they were actively equipping the members in uh the body to do the works but there could have been a healthier way to practice it publicly on a sunday service correct there's
0: oh is that what you're saying michael
1: no, I'm not saying he, anything. You just, he got caught, this he the got one caught time reading of every the comment section. As Miller was asking him a question. That's talking. what
0: happened. No, uh, I was
1: responding
2: to something you said and asking you a question. You missed it. It's okay. Uh, I was asking, I was asking. You, you were saying that Third Wave actually did equip, but you would like to see a better practice of what's been equipped in the church service, correct?
1: That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I was reading comments over here. So yes. yes. <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> well, here, here's <laughs> the thing with the the... The gifts of the Spirit that I think are, are really, you know, we, you've heard us say that Sunday morning is a dis- display of the mature gifts of the Spirit, right? We're not trying to just thrust everyone up on stage and say, hey, let's figure this out as we go. Uh, but that's part of what we're talking about with if if there is a fourth wave that we want to see um, in the body of Christ, we, we want it to not reflect. Again, we're Protestant, the kind of Roman Catholic-ish, if you want to get touched by God, you have to come through this priest or this man uh, we we don't want it to look like Rome in any way we want to see God's people having access directly to God through one mediator right uh, and we certainly believe that God uses the whole body to touch other members of the body you know when someone can't put car uh, you know tires on their car how does how does God you know give generously in a way to put tires on that person's car he puts it in someone's heart to give generously, to buy that person tires for their car. In the same way, when God wants to heal a person, you know, Peter and John at the gate beautiful, they stretch out their hand, they they declare rise and walk in the name of Jesus. This guy stands, he walks, and they say, Jesus Christ has made this man well. So when we look at this fourth wave that we're talking about, I hope it's a movement where people realize that they have access to these things because of what Christ has done not because they're sitting under some kind of high level strategic apostle, not because they've done some kind of levels of spiritual warfare in the third heavens. But no, they they believe that God performs miracles through his people because he performed them on his ministry here on earth as a prophet, as a priest and a king. And he's seated in heaven as a prophet and priest and king. And he's mediating that work throughout the body of Christ today. And that we have access to that, not because of our ecclesiological position, not because I'm a pastor or a prophet or an apostle or anything like that, but because I've been bought with the blood and and I I am seated in Christ, in Christ's ministry, I have access to here on the Amen. earth. So I, I hope that that's the kind of, certainly that everyone has the gifts and they're operating the gifts, but that spirit, that ethos of, man, we're doing this because he did this, because he sent us, because he's empowered us, not by any works of the law, but by hearing and faith is what galatians 3 5 would say and i hope that that marks this next movement
1: yeah hey i have one more topic i I think just one more to add to the mix the table all right yeah so communion the eucharist the lord's supper kind of depends on your denomination and tradition what you call it but uh i'm interested in this becoming part of it because i think it's part of how we keep the main thing the main thing. We talked about expositional preaching and teaching. We talked about ecclesiology. Both of these help shepherd it because if your word is, if, you're, if your church or a movement, if it's shepherded well by godly leaders and if it's rooted in the scripture, that's going to help keep it centered. But uh, man, what a what an expression of gospel centrality to be centered upon the table, uh, the, the body and the blood, the the bread and the wine. Uh, and, and I just think of Acts 2.42, where it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Some people try to make the breaking of bread while they were just sharing meals in people's homes. That's not what it was. If you read in, in the book of uh, Acts, the breaking of bread is communion. And first of all, it wouldn't make sense for it to just be uh, sharing meals together because he already talks about fellowship in the previous verse. So sharing meals is fellowship. So why would he say it? he'd be redundant if he said they devoted themselves to the fellowship and the breaking of bre- bread, which is just another form of fellowship. No, breaking of bread actually is communion. And the early church devoted themselves to this. And uh, and just my my sense, and I'm not calling myself a prophet or a son of a prophet, But my just sense (laughs) is that God is doing something in the body of Christ, returning us to the essentials. And communion is essential. The church practiced it every week uh, throughout all of history. And the earliest Protestants loved communion. They were big on communion. They didn't come in. Now they had some corrections on the transubstantiation the approaches of the Roman Catholics. However, they still loved communion. And it was a huge deal. But I just think it's... Here's the thing. You don't get Pentecost without Calvary. You don't get the outpouring of the Holy Spirit without the outpouring of Jesus' blood. Acts 2.33, after dying and uh, on the cross and then rising again, Jesus is exalted to the right hand of the Father, and then he, quote, pours out this which you both see and hear. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost is directly rooted in the work of Jesus Christ. And so I just think something powerful is happening and is going to happen as we return to the table to partake uh, to participate in the body and blood of the Lord through bread and wine.
0: Amen. Yeah, and I, I think that there is a part, part of what it is, I think, to be charismatic, part of it is to, to believe in this immediate, immediate presence of Christ at all times and all places, the inbreaking of the kingdom, if you will. It's a group of people who who believe that God is accessible and they want to encounter, they want to, like the woman at the issue of blood, touch the hem of his garment, you know? And I think one area that we've neglected deeply is the table. Um, and and people who watch the show know that we don't have a Zwinglian view of the table, but we don't believe that there's no, it's just a symbol. And, and we don't really hold to the Roman Catholic transubstantiation. You know, it's real blood, it's real flesh. Um, but we do hold to a real presence that God has mystically somehow, uh, united himself to the table in a way that he's not in Matthew 18. Like he's not like when he's gathered in our midst, when they're practicing church dif- discipline in Matthew 18, or, or when they're, he's inhabiting the praise of his people, or when, when, you know, his, the, the word itself, the word of God is the It's breathed out by God. It's the spirits work in the word, you know, so we encounter God in all these ways. I, I really believe that part of this movement is going to have a resurgence back to the table. That we we will love, we will cherish, we will we will encounter God. I think in powerful ways at the table, and that's that's a hope, that's a prayer. It's part of it's been for me. Like I've I've experienced, I felt like I've been I've been robbed by not bringing my faith to the table when I take the table, and, and realizing oh this has been a deep theological tradition throughout uh, Christian history, um, and, and I be, I begin to go man I I want to experience and believe. For that, uh, the the table just became a, a beautiful moment of intimacy with Christ, um, as I would mm-hmm. take it. And I hope I hope it becomes that for others as well. Amen. Yeah. Cool. Okay.
1: Well, I think it's about that time. It's five o'clock. Time to summarize our thoughts, put them all in a nutshell. Uh, we talked at the, at the very beginning about the first wave, the second wave, the third wave, and the developments over time. And we talked about where we are today. And there is a lot of unhealth, of course, just in the church generally, but certainly and the charismatic church, and some of the unhealth and just church overall being I- exaggerated uh, by abuses of the power of the Spirit, <laughs> by saying, God told me when God didn't really tell you. And, uh, and so we talked through some of those and, and just sort of our, our dream of what might it look like for the Holy Spirit to bring about a fourth wave. So uh, Michael and Josh, I'll volley it over to you. What are some of the take-homes you'd like for people to uh, take home? With my
0: take-home is Justin. My email is media at therominatradio.com. Please email me. Miller, what's your thoughts? Okay. Justin he, Peters he was in the chat.
2: Contact him on the, uh, on the website, so we'll do that. Uh, my takeaway, I mean, there's a couple things. We Something we didn't mention were the Great Awakenings, and, and I hope that you guys realize we're not saying that those two things are the same thing as what we're talking about. This is just a way of categorizing various movements um but honestly i think i would love to be a part of something where god is moving quite miraculously in a in a more liturgical type setting where the value where the scriptures are valued in their context uh where um where i don't feel like i have to check my head at the door where you won't ever Mm -hmm. hear the words you know be be spirit-led not mind-led as if those two things aren't both true um and where the gifts are practiced in such a way that i'm not worried about them abusing people with the gifts Uh, Mm -hmm. I, i i long for that i hope that i can as much as i can so much as it depends on me and the elders of my church i hope i can foster that in our community here in denver
1: so yeah amen okay
0: well you put the camera on me. Well, you said, uh, okay. Like, what, what other nonverbal cue yeah, are you going to give right. me you that says but I have something to say? Thank you so enough. much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. <laughs> uh, if you want to help support, keep praying mantises on the air. All you have to do is <laughs> donate the links of the description. Uh, there are one-time gifts if you want to give on PayPal. Or you mean a recurring giver there on Patreon? Uh, if you give regularly, I'll just sneak like a swarm of, of praying mantises into Michael's house, and they will just pick at him throughout the interview. It'll be really exciting. It's like, it's um, like the
1: eleventh plague after the ten <laughs> Egyptian plague. Praying mantis invade your home.
0: Okay, I, I so promise. Guys, I'm, I'm bearing false witness. I told you I wouldn't bring it back up again, Michael. I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. You, you. you were saying something.
1: I forgive you. No, that's it, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today uh having fun over here at remnant radio that was pretty cool to have justin peters in the chat hopefully we can have justin on the show uh but guys god bless you pray for that fourth wave of the holy spirit let's watch god move in power and uh so thanks for joining us oh you know while you're at it while you're praying or maybe just after hit that like and subscribe button share this video around god bless you guys have
0: a blessings guys